Hi, it's Mark Wasserman. Welcome to the Skaboom podcast. This is the audio companion to my forthcoming book, Skaboom, an American ska and reggae oral history that should be out in early 2021. I'm excited to have Matt Wixon here with me. Matt is a singer, songwriter, musician, podcaster, and improviser from Ferndale, Michigan. Since 2005, he has been performing solo acoustic ska and punk under his own name, and electronic ska and reggae under the moniker Babylon Party Machine. Throughout 2007, he toured nationally and around the UK as keyboardist of the Connecticut-based ska core band The Flaming Tsunamis. In 2010, he started the three-piece punk band Matt Wixon's Flying Circus, with whom he has released three EPs, a live album, and various singles. As a guest musician, he has appeared on albums by The Suicide Machines, Big D and the Kids Table, Jay Navarro and the Traders, The Fad, Heavens Be, and more. He continues to write and perform music and comedy in the Detroit area, and for the past year has coasted Hornpod, a ska podcast. Welcome, Matt. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. I appreciate being here. Thank you for joining me. You know, I was trying to remember the first time we met. Uh, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, you attended the Knoxville Ska Festival in 2008. Were you one of the 15 people that were there? The Ska Weekend, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that was, somehow that was, I I was given the honor of sort of booking one of the, like, the, the side little tent stages. And I don't know why Ben entrusted me with that, but um so like it, I just kind of loaded it with a bunch of my friends and then one of my friends was like you should put Maddie Ruthless on your stage and like that was the first time I'd ever heard of Maddie Ruthless and now she's like a big deal um but she yeah is. she yeah she's she's out there you know with her far east band uh they did a tour opening for the specials a little while ago um, yeah, I was there. I saw that. I was like, yeah. holy cow. <laughs> yeah, kind of out of nowhere, too. And and great for them. Like, they're all fantastic. Um, but yeah, the, the 2008 Knoxville Ska Weekend was, oh, it was an experience. I mean, it was basically like everybody hanging out with their friends or making new friends. And there wasn't really, like there wasn't, <laughs> like you mentioned, there wasn't a lot of an audience. It was mostly just bands playing to each other in, in Knoxville. Yeah, I mean, my band, I, w- I was in a band called Bigger Thomas at the time, and right. um, we drove all the way there from New Jersey, you know, super excited because I think the Knoxville Ska Weekend had maybe there had been one or two before it. And um, I remember thinking, oh, there's going to be uh, all kinds of people there and um, being somewhat mm-hmm. disappointed, I have to say, <laughs> that... Um, that there really weren't a lot of people there. I think that has something to do with, I want to remember some of this is fuzzy, but I want to say where we played was right under the shadow of like some tower that they had the world's fair there at some point. Right. Um, Yeah. That sounds right. I think it was like, I think it was called like world's fair park or something like that. I don't, I mean, it's been a very long time since I've been in Knoxville, but it was something like that. You're right. And and one of the members of my band at the time was a huge Simpsons fan. And he convinced me that there was an episode. I'm not a Simpsons fan, but there was an episode of The Simpsons built around Homer going to this. It's like a really small, whatever. What's the thing in Seattle called? The Space, Space Needle. Needle. 
very, very miniature version of the Space Needle right. in Knoxville and us going up there because it was also <laughs> hot as hell. And I think that was the only place there was air conditioning. <laughs> We're on the home stretch. Next stop, the Knoxville World's Fair and its fabulous sun sphere. Nevertheless, I did meet right. you there. I remember seeing um, these very cool Wu-Tang Clan looking Wixen <laughs> shirt, which I yeah. could not get on. But um, I, at that point, I realized oh, Matt Wixen is somebody. Um, and you know, all you need to do is rip off Wu Tang Clan to be somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I was impressed with your creativity, but okay. I think for me at that point, I, I, you, you came onto my ska radar, and you know, I've sort of um, followed you from afar um, uh, since that point, twelve years ago. But, um, you know, you and I collaborated on a track for uh, the most recent Heavensby album. Uh, yeah. We, you know, when Roger Apple on my, my musical partner in crime and I were conceiving that project and that album, we put together a list of people we wanted to work with and, and you were on it because I think you, for me, you have such a very open mind to what ska music is and how you approach it and, and that whole project for both of for Roger and I was really about how do we uh, expand the boundaries of what people um, consider ska and reggae music. And uh, it was really fun to do that with you. I, I was really obviously flattered uh, to be asked because there's a lot of other very talented people that you got on board. And yeah, I, I really, I mean, I love the album anyway. So I don't know if I've ever actually told you how much I like that album, but I very much like that album. Uh, and not just because I'm on it. Uh, but yeah, like the some of the stuff you were doing in, like I know I also started working on a couple of other tracks that you had started recording uh that didn't make the album and like it seems like you're just uh like overflowing with all of these ska reggae ideas and in a way like you you're tweaking stuff in the same kind of way that i'm kind of inclined to tweak stuff like you're seeing like what else can i do with this and and i appreciate that kind of approach yeah i I, that's why i felt um it would be fun to work with you because we were like mine in that respect um I love ska, I love reggae, but I love, like you, so many other types of music, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm always looking for ways to um, make a left turn, where right. you can just do something that might be a little bit unexpected, where you might push people a little bit out of their comfort zone, but but still do something that hopefully has a hook or um, a message um, that still resonates somehow. You know, I'm very old school. That way, and I think you know, jumping ahead a little bit, that's what I'm hoping that you and I are going to talk about is sort of my old man <laughs> approach to to ska music, and I think perhaps your slightly less younger man's approach, and, and to see where you know where, where we can find middle ground in, in terms of of what ska music is, um, yeah, right now. Um, and and interestingly, you know, I've been very impressed with the Horn Pub uh, Facebook community that you founded. As yeah. well as a podcast that you co-host with JJ Loy, you know I, I I've um 
lurked around the Facebook page often. I don't, I don't really post on there. Um, but I'm fascinated with, you know, the discussions that, that take place on there. And, and frankly, you know, what I wanted to talk to you about really is that some of the discussions piss me off and some of them, (laughs) um, uh, confuse me. And, and some of them, um, I, I, I'm, uh, uh, empowered by fr- frankly, you know, uh, t- to be honest, I, I, I worship at the church of two-tone. I am a two-tone fanatic and my, much of my life, uh, view and my politics were really, um, informed by being a fan of two-tone as a teenager. You know, I'm, I'm older than you and came of age in the early eighties. And so, um, uh, that music to me was, uh, an important roadmap for how I look at the world. And so when I go on horn pub, sometimes I feel like I've landed on another planet. <laughs> so I think that's a good thing. I, I don't, you know, I have a 13 year old and I, my, our musical tastes are, are, I have the same experience with him. He is obsessed with, um, hip hop, okay. uh, pop. You know, so sure. um, uh, so I have that similar experience, but I like that your community that you've built in some cases pushes me out of my boundaries and makes me un- uncomfortable. So I was sort of hoping you could, you know, start off by telling me a little bit about what inspired you to create that Facebook community and, and, and you know, what your perspective on it is. Sure. So I, before creating that group, I was a moderator in another ska facebook group and i I don't even remember the name at this point but like i I got into some dis uh disagreements with the the guy who created that page that group uh kind of about just how to run the group in general and it like i got kind of petty and was kind of trolling him and he just kicked me out of the group um and i was like you know what i'm if I've got these ideas, I'm going to just do it the way I want to do it and show you that like it can work a different way. And so I started the, this horn pub group uh, to try to just be like, because the other group was like really heavy on like policing people's political opinions. And like, obviously like I hate right wing ideologies as much as the next proper ska fan. Um, but like, if somebody just happens to have like a black and yellow Fred Perry shirt, I don't think they should be banned from a group. That's my opinion. Uh, Let them break a rule before they leave. And it's like, I tried to be like enforce people being polite to each other. Like I don't mean the other moderators don't tolerate people just insulting each other and picking fights. Um, We delete plenty of posts that are either incendiary or, not ska related or just overdone stupid memes that we're all sick of. Uh, But for the most part, it's just like, Hey, we're here to celebrate ska. Let's focus on ska. And we're all coming from it uh, from a different angle, coming to it from a different angle. And maybe there's stuff we can learn about it from each other. And so we, I just, yeah, we, I kind of just tried to foster that kind of spirit of we're not here to make stupid jokes about ska or post mozzarella sticks memes which is somehow a thing (laughs) um we're just here to talk about the music and the bands and maybe the culture and just kind of share stuff with each other and so far it's been going pretty well i'd say so i think you have 
is it eight or nine thousand members? We we actually the group actually just passed ten thousand members last week, which is insane yeah. to me. Uh, it's been around a year and a half, maybe two years. I don't even remember. Um, you know, and, and again, one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you, I, I'm trying to interview uh, a real wide range of people on this podcast. Um, and I really interested in, in people I consider influencers and you are a ska influencer. And so um, I think you're to be congratulated for being able to create a community with nearly 10,000 you know, 10, people on it dedicated to ska music. <laughs> That's fantastic. I mean, to, to me, that warms my heart because it's it means that there are still people out there who um, care enough about right. this music to spend their time online, you know, talking about it and, and debating it. Um, I am curious, you know, I, I asked this question of everybody um, who I've been interviewing uh, on this podcast, but I call it a, the lightning bolt moment. When... Did you first encounter ska music? How old were you? What was the song or the experience that you had that sort of imprinted um, this love of ska music on you? Well, to, to kind of preview what I think is going to be some more of the discussion later in here, um, we're obviously of different ages. Uh, I was born in 1983 which means I was like 13, 14 when Sky was hitting big, like in the mainstream. Uh, so it's kind of like, I feel like there's like a whole generation of people within like a couple of years of my age who all hit Sky at the same point uh, just because of what they were, like what, what their age was, what their interests were in 1997 or whatever. Uh, and so like, I remember the the first song that i knew was ska was the impression that i get by the money money boss tones um which i'm sure is not that unusual again for people who are in their mid-30s now um and i remember like it was actually my mom that like we had both like heard the song on the radio and she's like i'm gonna get this cd i'm like okay and it just became my cd over time uh but in, I was in se seventh grade in 1997, and I remember there was I had a, a classmate who was the first person I ever heard the word ska from. I never heard it on the radio when they were playing the Boss Tones or No Doubt or whatever, but I heard it from this classmate of mine who was like, yeah, do you, do you know about the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones? I'm like, yeah. He's like, they're ska. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because it had, <laughs> you know, it's never a thing I knew about. And then that turned into finding the other like radio bands first. And at a certain point, I, I was convinced that there was like a very finite number of ska bands and I could just count them. I'm like, okay, No Doubt is one. Sublime is two. Money Money Boss Tones is three. And like, you know, maybe there's a dozen ska bands. <laughs> and I had no idea that there was like this whole underground culture and this history and all of that. Uh, but little by little, like, I saw Suicide Machines in 99 for the first time and the openers were Catch-22 and Pilfers and I fell in love with both of those bands and like one band leads to another leads to another and eventually you end up hosting a ska podcast and you're the admin of a 10,000 strong Facebook group about ska. That's pretty incredible. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it makes sense to me that the Boston's would be a gateway band. I mean, yeah, I was born in 1965, so I was 18 years old um, when you were born. So it mm-hmm. is true that we, you know, uh, we're nearly a generation a- apart. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting. The Boston's, I didn't do a chapter on the Boston's in my book, but they are in the book. I interviewed a couple of them because I do a pretty extensive chapter on Bim Scala Bim, who sure. were a huge a Boston band. They were like um, my Boston's. Um, right. And members of the Boston's grew up going to see Bim Scala Bim shows in Cambridge. You know, they were all guys yeah. who grew up in Cambridge or in, in, right in Boston itself. And um, Bim Scala Bim was a huge influence on them. So, you know, I've tried in this book to connect, you know, my world and my experience with ska with the one that came after it. You know, sure. hopefully I've been able to do that. But, but um, you know, the Boston's are interesting to me for, for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, a little bit about what we were talking about before, but, um, you know, they, I think to many people represent what American ska is now. Um, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. As okay. I said, I'm an old guy, um, you know, with a, with a two-tone in my blood. I, rep- I, I respect that they revere two-tone and I respect that they come from that place. I know Dickie Barrett, you know, worships madness and the specials um, as much as I do. But I, I guess the part that's interesting to me, and maybe you can tell me your perspective, um, was taking ska and adding punk rock to it. Um, and, and I guess, is, is that how you sort of relate to what you consider ska music to be? Is it a little rougher, a little punkier than the music that came before it? Well, to me personally, I, I, I kind of feel like I'm a little bit of a purist and people have called me out for being a gatekeeper and saying what is and isn't ska based on, you know, what they may see as arbitrary definitions. I, when I think of ska, I think of like stuff that's close to what was played in Jamaica in the sixties. That's how I think of as That's what I think of as ska. So when it gets further away, like the boss tones play like metal and hardcore and stuff as well as ska and reggae and whatever, like when they're playing a metal song that just happens to have a horn line that to me doesn't scream ska. And that might be Scott to somebody else. Like Less Than Jake, barely, barely a Scott band in my opinion. Even though like I adore Less Than Jake, I've, you know, was a very big fan of them, especially when I was younger, not so much now. But like there, there's a lot of bands now that are quote unquote ska bands that are more or less pop punk bands that have a horn section. And that to me doesn't really fit with my definition of ska. Okay, that's, that's interesting to hear. Um, uh, but that, I guess, leads me back to my question. And I, I appreciate that, that some people consider you a gate, gatekeeper. I'm interested in talking to a gatekeeper. I'm okay. interested in somebody who has a specific point of view. And well, I, I they think use it as like a pejorative, like I'm keeping other bands out of ska or something like that. 
that um like it's like i'm determining who is and who isn't ska when really i think it's just the genre that they're like music that they're playing is or isn't ska but i guess that makes me an asshole (laughs) no i don't think Um, i I think people need to have uh, someone like you to react or respond to it keeps it keeps it interesting right um but circling back to my my overall question in general though is if someone if i asked you matt what is american ska what is your definition of american ska and i realize there are a hundred million different potential responses to this but right now what would you say that is I mean, if I was going to just define ska, that would be different than just defining American ska. Because I think American ska is kind of defined by a punkish, at least rock, um, adaptation of like a, you know, a Caribbean dance music. Uh, like, I think, I mean, obviously there's there's Hepcat and they're not a punk band or whatever. Uh, but like there is very much a punk and or rock foundation to this upstrokes and big horn lines sound. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And, and, you know, what was so interesting about writing this book was speaking to, I, I have chapters on 18 different bands mm-hmm. that I felt were um, responsible for the roots of what we now consider American ska music. And there are a couple bands that I interviewed that I feel um, helped to create the blueprint, if you will, sure. uh, of what you just defined. Those two bands would be Mephiscopheles and um, Gangster Fun from, wow. from your neck of the woods. Um, I think those two bands sort of came right at this tipping point in the early to mid nineties, right before you got into ska, right. Um, where they were experimenting. And unfortunately I never got to see gangster fun, but through spending literally about two and a half months of my life, um, uh, learning as much as I could about them and interviewing all of the original members. My takeaway was that, um, they love two-tone, but they wanted to do something different. And, um, it was the mixing of all these different influences. I mean, Detroit is the, is a premier music city in, in, in my mind. It's and so yeah. I think it was sort of interesting that it definitely one of them, but I, I, I just think everything that's come out of Detroit, you know, Motown and techno and kid rock however you feel about it um, <laughs> the stooges we got the stooges too exactly and 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 that's what all the guys in gangster fun said to me was yeah. we took we love the specials we love bad manners but we are also hearing all these other musical influences around us and frankly we didn't want to be boring no offense to the east coast bands but we wanted to do our own thing and so, you know, that's why I'm glad that I'm getting to tell their story because I don't know that many people um, know about Gangster Fun. They they operated in this pre-internet time and then right. kind of didn't play a lot of shows after that. Um, and then you know, I, I, like, I'm going to just say I'm so excited to read specifically your chapter about Gangster Fun. Because um, first of all, when I found out 
that you know when i first was exposed to gangster fun i was so upset that like this was a band that i could have seen when i was in high school and i just didn't know about them uh but like i am really into gangster fun now and they've played uh, a handful of shows in like the last 20 years they've been basically broken up for about 20 years though i guess you probably know this better than i do um, but they played like a handful of shows and I've had the opportunity to open for them several times. And it, it's just like, like they don't make bands like that anymore. And to hear them like when they were young must have been a total trip because <laughs> there couldn't have been bands like them before that either. And that's so interesting to me. Like, they're such an interesting band, and I can't wait to hear your account of their story. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated by them. Um, and, and the beauty of of um, this book is it's an oral history. So yeah, um, it's their story. I mean, I'm honored that they sure. trusted me to all take the time to talk to me and and tell me their story. But it is. Frankly, there should be a documentary about gangster fun <laughs> because they were the only ska band in Detroit. Um, and because of that, they played shows with nearly every band. There wasn't a ska scene in, in right. Detroit. No, I've, I've heard stories. I mean, I'm sure they probably talked to you about this, about them playing like an amphitheater opening for Fugazi. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just like an absolutely huge show that was a $5 show and they had to have such a big venue because it was so cheap. Yeah. I, there's a, a couple of anecdotes that they share with me, um, particularly John Bunkley, you know, yeah. about some interactions he had with um, uh, Ian McKay. Is that how you pronounce it? I think it's Ian. McKay, but yeah, I don't, what do I know? <laughs> I'm not sure either. Um, but, but I, really interesting interactions that they had, but, but basically <laughs> gangster fun whipped the crowd into a frenzy, like good, so much of a frenzy, Matt, that people were going into, to the men's room and, and ripping the urinals off the walls. <laughs> just because of gangster fun? Because they were just so hyped up. Oh yeah. My God, I love that. I love that. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, just their whole approach to performing was so interesting and unusual. Like some shows, apparently, I don't know if you, you've seen them, but I don't know how what, what, what they decided to do on nights that you saw them. Some mm -hmm. nights they just did covers, you know, ska covers of 80s metal songs. Oh my, I love that. <laughs> So it was this real irreverence that they had that that sort of was fascinating to me because I came into writing this book about I had a very uh, pure uh, oh it's going to be all about two tone and it's not and, and I'm so glad because right. because they sort of were pushing boundaries and then the other band 
um, I don't know if you've ever opened for or seen, obviously I'm going to ask, I'm assuming you have, is Mephiscopheles. Um, yes. Uh, I don't know what your take on them is. Uh, I'd love to hear it. Um, I also but- adore Mephiscopheles. And for some reason, they decided to print a shirt that I designed for them pretty recently. Oh, that's right. And I'm stoked about that as well because, I, like, I saw the first time I saw Mephiscopheles was 2014. And in 2014, I thought I would never see Mephiscopheles because they had been inactive for a long time. And then the first time they came back, the first time they came to Detroit after they started kind of getting active again, my band got to open for them. And yeah, I, I absolutely adore Mephiscopheles. <laughs> I, again, I just think there was a level of irreverence, but also intelligence Yeah, um, with the members of that band that I'm so impressed by. I mean, a, a joke idea of being a satanic ska band, I mean, <laughs> frankly, is brilliant. But the fact that there were people who were offended by that is even more brilliant. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and so I know that's sort of a very roundabout way of of um, circling around this discussion, but I, I wanted to sort of find some common ground with your sort of definition of American ska, because to, to me, those are two bands that um, are the grandfathers, if you will, of um, what I guess is what constitute American ska now. I mean, maybe you can explain Streetlight Manifesto <laughs> because I saw them open. Well, actually, when I saw Mephiscopheles most recently, yeah, they opened for Streetlight Manifesto, and I was yeah. a little bit put off by that. But I don't know what your what your um, opinion of Streetlight is. I know they are pro- – what percent of discussion on um, Horn Pub do you think Streetlight Manifesto drives? Oh, they're probably – they got to be at least 10% of, of the entire discussion of ska music. Um, so, okay, I remember, like, I assume you at least know that Streetlight Manifesto kind of spawned from, like, the main the main singer and songwriter of Catch-22 leaving Catch-22, going to college for a while and then starting a new band. I do, and um, okay. I know that they're also from my home state of New Jersey. Correct, so. yeah. Yeah. Can't I can't disrespect them that much? It's like I was I was on board with Streetlight Manifesto like from the very beginning just because I was a Catch Twenty Two fan, and like the first Streetlight record sounds like a bigger, longer, a little bit more tedious version of the first Catch Twenty Two record, and like they're all very talented musicians. And Thomas Kalnoki, the songwriter, singer. Seems like a very smart guy. He's referencing books and art and all that stuff. (laughs) Like a very, like, he seems like an intelligent, thoughtful composer of songs. Um, Somehow that band went from playing like, you know, the same kind of bars that you would see catch, 
22 in or big D in the kids table or whatever, like kind of like second or third tier ska bands to becoming like the biggest band in ska. Like they're probably more popular now than like the boss tones or real big fish or less than Jake in terms of like the audience that they can draw. And I really don't understand how that happened. Yeah. I was going to ask you to explain that to me, but I don't know that you, I, are you, no, you don't I want honestly, to answer <laughs> if, if I had to explain it, I would say like, there's something about them. I well, part, Okay. Honestly, part of it is probably that they're not really playing what I assume the two of us would consider to be ska music <laughs> um, in that, like it's, it's mostly punk music. Um, like they have like the upstroke, like clean guitar, but they're playing it so fast that it might, they might as well just be strumming chords. Like it's not even like the accent of ska music. It doesn't have the, like the upbeat thing. They're just playing clean punk. <laughs> So like I think part of it is like that's that's more accessible to people than even like Real Big Fish is because Real Big Fish is definitely a ska band and like they have like dance music and Straight Light Manifesto has a bunch of sing along stuff and every song has like four choruses where you get to just say whoa over and over again so it's like interactive for everybody even if you've never heard the song before and, and like I said, like they're they're all very they're like super talented musicians, like killer horn section, killer bass drum, whatever. Um, and like intelligent songs. But I think the real thing is like intelligence isn't what sells. I think it's just they they're selling like this community punk kind of thing. Like we're all in this together, we're all singing the na 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 part of this song together. And it's fun, right? It's upbeat and fun, like any kind of, you know, punk band would be. Right. And I guess I hate to belabor this, but how is that ska music? I love the community aspect of it. I love that it it, it brings people together. I'm impressed by the uh, intelligence of the songwriting. Yeah. But how is that considered ska music now, though? So I think that at some point, uh, maybe around the end of the 90s, people just started considering anything that was punk with a horn section was ska and like it and i i feel like it might be kind of like kind of catch 22's fault kind of less than jake's fault but like at a certain point like they're just punk bands that have horn sections and like yeah maybe they do a little like upstroke kind of ska part but it's always like too fast to dance to properly uh it's like it's it's yeah, I don't know. I think it, the the definition just kind of degenerated into anything like I there are people on Horn Pub still who will be who will consider Cake, the band Cake, a ska band because they have a horn. And like that's insane to me. Like you just have you have to know a little bit about ska before you get to define something as ska. And and also like to Thomas from Streetlights credit, he's specifically said that he doesn't consider his band a ska band. And like, I th- I feel like some people would look at that as like, 
oh, he's kind of being, he's taking like this cooler approach. Like he doesn't want to be associated with checkers or whatever, but I think he's just being honest <laughs> with, with people when he says that. Um, and I also know though, like, I don't know if you know this about Streetlight Manifesto, but there, Thomas Kalnoki, there again, singer songwriter was hugely influenced by Mephiscopheles. Like Mephiscopheles is a really, really big influence, at least on early Streetlight and Catch-22 records. I love that you're bringing it full circle, Matt. Yeah. I did not know, but I, yeah, I love there were There were bootlegs of like the first couple Streetlight shows because they were already kind of big when they started just because of who was in the band. And in the very beginning, they like from like their very first show, I think, they were covering Saba by Mephiscopheles, which like, I mean, there's not a lot of ska fans. Like there's probably not a lot of streetlight fans now that know that song, but streetlight manifesto were like, yeah, this is like, this is where we came from kind of thing. Yeah. Again, I'm, that makes me feel happy because I, I don't think that Mephiscopheles necessarily gets the respect that they deserve either. I mean, I'm, I I love origin stories. And so this book is really origin stories for 18 bands and the Mephiscopheles origin story is, is fascinating. Again, I talked about this in a recent episode, but you know, the, the spirit of the specials and two-tone hover literally over every chapter. But what's interesting is that how do the, the people in each of these bands creatively decide to take that influence and turn it into something new and different. And, you know, I'm uh, constantly interested in what American ska is because, you know, I've sort of lived it um, and and watched it grow because I'm such an old fucker now. But um, (laughs) I, I, um, I I like to, I like to hear that people are paying respects to it because, because, you know, I think in in a future episode, I'm I'm planning to do something sort of a, a, about um, I don't know how to say this nicely. I guess it would be the whitewashing of okay. of um, ska music. You know that that um, it is a and I know you have tremendous respect for the roots of Jamaican music and um, reggae and 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 so I think you know what I'm saying. But the the yeah. fact is, so much American ska music is made exclusively. By white people, yeah, and suburban um, white dorks, yes, <laughs> right. And um, I, I do think you know, I don't know if that comes up on on um, Horn Pod or not. If that's you know too too political right now at this point in our history, but I do think it's something I want to to discuss a little bit. You know, we don't have to do it here today, but I, I'm sort of curious what your perspective is on that as someone who I know shares my love and passion for the roots of, of ska, you know, J- Jamaican ska, Jamaican reggae, any, any form of the music that is influenced by Jamaica. But right. I, I'm sort of curious, you know, how does that, does it play out on, on horn pod? And if so, what have you seen? Or if not, do you think it should be something that is discussed a little bit more? So I don't think it really comes out uh, explicitly on Horn Pod or Horn Pub. See, I even screw up my own group and podcast names. So I don't, I don't think it ex- like explicitly comes up where like people are saying something like this is white music or something like that. But I know that like because of 
what happened throughout the 90s where it was primarily white bands that were on the radio and MTV while Fishbone was making better music and was not getting the same kind of coverage. Um, Like, I think that there's something like if you come to Scott without any understanding of it, your first impression of it, uh, at least since like, you know, 25 years ago now is like, this is what, this is music for white punks. And so I, and I still think that there's some of that, like in the Scott scene, even if it's like not uh, like said out loud or, you know, actually typed and posted uh, like I've seen comments in like YouTube's comment sections where um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Scott Toon network. Uh, it's a, it's a person that's doing like solo YouTube videos, almost pretty much a YouTube star at this point with ska music or ska punk music or whatever. They're a black uh, non-binary person. And there are comments in like on their videos that are like, I didn't know black people liked ska. And like, that's that blows your fucking mind when you read something like that. Like it's been black until pretty recently. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And um, I have you to thank for um, hipping me to ska tune network. Um, but a perfect example of sort of some of my uneasiness, I guess mm-hmm. would be the right word, um, as someone again, who comes from, you know, I'm, I'm, um, part of Jerry Dammer's two-tone army, basically, yeah. you know, indoctrinated by two-tone that, um, ska music is black and white, right. not just white. And so, uh, I've tried to live that, you know, in the in the bands that I've performed in, um, and more recently, uh, making it gender equal. Uh, you know, Heavensby had um, three women, and uh, Rude Boy George has two women. Yeah. You know, I had this interesting conversation um, with Pauline Black when the Selector were on tour um, a couple years ago, and I think I said to her, you know, what do you think? Uh, two-tone means now. And she said, well, you know, people kind of got it wrong because I think everyone just thought it was black and white men, but it's actually men and women. And that really impacted me, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to think about that. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Like it, it, it is upsetting that new recruits to ska, thanks to what you guys are doing. Um, in Horn Pub, um, don't know the history. You know, I'm I'm a history guy. I wrote this book is history, and so it 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 upsets me that that people don't know where this is coming from. Well, I think, I mean, that's kind of part of what I try to do. Like, it's I don't really think about like this is what I need to do with this Facebook group, but I try to at least with my posts, communicate my genuine love and respect for the music from the 60s up until now. 
Um, and that includes like, hey, I know that everybody here is probably a bigger fan of Less Than Jake than uh, Prince Buster or whatever. But like, here's a cool Prince Buster song. You should listen to it. And I don't know for sure, but like, I have a feeling that just being in that Facebook group, because there are people that are way more traditional and there are people that are strictly ska punk and there's a handful of us like i i'd consider myself kind of both ways you know i like ska punk i like you know traditional jamaican ska um like i think that we're all kind of educating people that don't know the depth and the variety of this music we love and so having this many people and this kind of variety of people's tastes kind of exposes other people like you know younger people new like people that are streetlight manifesto fans or whatever if they can get turned on to mephiscopheles or bad manners like that's great i want people to know about this stuff and if i can't make them care about it as much as i do like that's fine but they should at least know about it i feel like i've done that a little bit yeah no i think i think you have and i'm i'm happy that you have and I do see that you bring in music that's um, more recognizable or, or th- that I like. Yeah. And so it's always interesting <laughs> to see the comments, you know, it, it, and again, I have to always preface this by saying that I'm old now, but, you know, to see like, oh, I went to my first ska show in 2012, you know, and I'm right. like, oh, oh my God, that wasn't that long ago. Uh, <laughs> But I have to remember that this is a um, uh, a mantle, you know, that gets passed on, and so I'm glad that you are sort of taking the the torch and and using, you know, what uh, social media really represents. I think importantly is how, how do you communicate with other people. But I'm I'm glad that you're you're keeping the history alive. Um, well, I don't think it's just me and like our that my Facebook group is not the only ska Facebook group. It's not the biggest Facebook group about ska. Um, there are plenty of other people who are are doing just as much, and so I don't want to take credit for it. But I think it's important work, and I do my part because <laughs> like like you, I absolutely adore this music, and I want people to appreciate it for the depth that it possesses. Agreed. Um... Is it here's kind of a, a a curveball question for you, Matt? All right. Like, where do you see American ska music going in the next ten years? You know, I know I, I've listened to a couple of um, of your podcast uh, episodes with JJ, and and I'm impressed with the depth and breadth of what you guys discuss and talk about. Um, you know, I think your your most recent episode which scooped me. Um, about, uh, you know, ska and electronic dance music. Um, you know, I'm a fan of, of, um, acid ska. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I'm just, cause, cause I think you guys both consume so much ska and, and are open-minded enough. I'm just sort of curious, you know, where you think this is all going, what direction is it? Are we breaking down into more and more separate, um, branches or do you, do you see like, one sort of unified sound sort of over the next couple of years being more dominant. And to be honest, like I kind of feel like, like I don't want to use the wave word, but like, I kind of feel like there's something that might be reminiscent of the mid nineties that's going on now, but you know, for the internet age, 
so you have YouTube instead of MTV and you've got, you know, Spotify or whatever instead of, you know, alternative radio. And I think that there are a bunch of people coming to ska music in the last few years because of a handful of artists that uh, sound a little bit less like ska music than I would prefer. I'll put it, that's how I'll say it politely. Um, but like, like Scott Two Network, for example, is racking up. Like, I, I feel like some of their videos have like millions of plays on YouTube, which is kind of unheard of for a ska band or a ska act at all. And so I think it's kind of stuff like that. And there are, there's another band, the Holophonics from Texas, who, and like, Scott Toon Network and the Holophonics are both making names for themselves with cover songs, ska versions of, you know, whatever Ariana Grande song is popular or uh, Despacito or whatever. Um, and I feel like that's the like the novelty of it. The oh, isn't it silly? There's a person playing trombone uh, during a Taylor Swift song or whatever. I think is kind of getting people used to the idea of ska music in general. Just like oh, I remember ska, or they've just heard about ska. I don't know. And I think that that's kind of going to start there's gonna i feel like these groups are going to inspire a bunch of people to make goofy covers of pop songs with a trombone solo and i don't know how i feel about that <laughs> so like in so to, to long story short i think it's i think it's going to be goofy again like in the real big fish vein uh and i also think like the pop punk hardcore kind of thing with horns is also going to keep getting bigger because it's kind of been around for a while now but there are some bands that are doing that kind of thing that seem to be doing better than most other ska bands right now can you name a couple of those just you know for anybody who who might be listening to check out the first one that comes to mind is kill lincoln from i want to say maryland or washington (laughs) dc And they they have a very like it's very much like a a pop punk hardcore kind of thing, um, with horns and with like dance parts and whatever. Like they're they're not completely not ska, but they're very much like if you played them back to back with the specials, you would not consider them the same genre, unless like you were deeply familiar with the modern American ska scene. You mentioned Kill Lincoln. I actually know them. And the reason I know them is uh, because one of the members of the band, I believe his name is Drew Skibitsky. Yeah. I'm not sure what he does in the band. He's a, he's like their Ben Carr. He's like their hype man. 
in a lot of their promo pictures, he's seen wearing a bigger Thomas t-shirt, which was the band that, that I helped to start. Right. And the I reason he's a Jersey he's about, right? Yeah. Is that he used to book shows at this church in, um, Westfield, New Jersey, um, which is also the home of James Kelly. They grew up and went to high school together. And it is fascinating that they're both sort of in the world of ska, but they used to book my band to play these, these church shows. They had these shows in order to keep kids off the street of Westfield, which is this very upper middle class <laughs> community in, in New Jersey. But nevertheless, uh, that's how I met these guys. And they were like 14 or 15 years old at, at the time. So it is kind of interesting to me that Drew um, is part of, of this band that you mentioned, you know, and I would agree with you. I've listened to them and I don't consider them a ska band, but God bless them if, if they are influenced by ska. Right. Like I, they, they released an album earlier this year, I think like fairly recent, <clears throat> fairly recently. Um, and like, it's, I don't dislike it. It's just not my thing. But when it dropped the, the horn pub group was just lit up with all these comments about how much everybody loved this record. And that was so exciting to me to see a band that like, for all intents and purposes, like in the music industry as a whole is basically nobody. Um, like they're, they're a small band. Uh, they're on a label that one of their members runs like to see them get so much reaction, like more reaction than like when the specials dropped encore more reaction than like a lot of other, like pretty big bands. Like they're a very ex- like exciting band to a lot of younger people. And it's so exciting to me to see even if it's not a band that I particularly love. And I mean, I've seen them live. They're a lot of fun live. Uh, like they're all very talented. Um, but like to see them have that kind of reaction, like a, a small, like underground band that's got all of this buzz. Uh, it was very cool. And I'm, I'm excited to see like if 10 years from now, American ska sounds like kill Lincoln. I think, I mean, it, to me, I don't know if it'll be ska, but It'll be fine. <laughs> How about that? I, I, I can get on board with that. I, I'm glad to hear there's progress, but I guess, again, it's, it's hard for me to find the thread um, back to what you and I would probably consider if we're doing waves, you know, first or second wave, Scott. I think what will happen, maybe it, it does to most of us, is you eventually, if you're really into it, you go back. Um, you know, I I come at this from the perspective of almost having become, you know, a um, college professor. You know, at one point I had a choice to make and the path was, you know, I could go into academia. So I readily admit that I my perspective on everything is historically driven. You know, I'm, I'm, I was going to be a political science professor or a history professor. And so, you know, to me, the only way this is trite, but the only way to know where you're going is to know where you've come from. And so that's always going to be my perspective, particularly on, on music. But, um, and see that, that actually kind of relates to what I think about modern, like ska punk music is a lot of younger people will say like, why can't you call this ska? And, like, in my opinion, like, they are not even influenced by ska anymore. They're influenced by a band that was influenced by a band that was influenced by a band that was influenced by ska. And, True. Like, like, 
if the only connection you have is like something that like in its DNA was only maybe one sixteenth ska to begin with, like you're not going to be making something that is ska. And and I would love it for more punk bands and whatever ska punk bands to actually understand what made like the Jamaican stuff work, like why it was danceable, what the baseline did, what the drums did that made it so infectious. And then understand what the like dammers and what the selector and all of them did that put a new energy on it, but still kind of kept the same thing because like there are still modern bands like Hub City Stompers isn't young, but like they're a modern band still. They obviously know their Jamaican stuff while they're adding their punk and oi and whatever. There should be more ska punk bands like that, in my opinion. And I know like people, if someone hears this, they're going to say, oh, like you don't want experimentation. You know what? You can do a lot of stuff. Like you can listen to Gangster Fun, listen to Mephiscopheles. They know their shit and they're doing stuff that's unlike anything you've ever heard. Fishbone too. There are a lot of bands that know Jamaican music that have found a way to do it in their own way. And there are people that are, again, like playing stuff that's influenced by influence, but whatever down the line that like, and they're calling it Scott and like, okay, you're just playing like a weird hardcore song with, with a saxophone. Like at a, at a certain point, maybe you, you have to to call it something else. (laughs) Agreed. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of just add one more thing here before we, um, before we wrap up, but, um, uh, you know, circling back to um, your hometown boys, um, Gangster Fun, um, you know, there were two people in the audience at Gangster Fun shows who went on, in my mind, to to help really create what I would consider to be like the canon of Midwestern ska, right? It was... Um, Jay Navarro. Uh, Jay Navarro, who, who uh, at that point in his life is completely into a, a punk and hardcore uh, lifestyle and goes to see gangster fun and, you know, has a life changing experience and then goes out and forms suicide machines. Yeah. And then the other one is Dave Kirchgesner from mustard plug. Yeah. Um, and into that, I would also add, um, Chuck Wren, you know, the DJ. Yeah. Um, and, and so and record label owner, record label owner. <laughs> he, he runs jump up. He's a great dude with a lot of great music under his belt. But yeah, like Gangster Fun is like a very, very big band for the Midwest. And the Midwest, I mean, and specifically like the upper, like Great Lakes Midwest. And I love that you're going to try to give them, hopefully you gave them, I assume you gave them uh, their spot on the top of the Pantheon or whatever, (laughs) where they belong. I I did. I mean, it was not easy to, I could have done 25 chapters to be honest with you right uh, would have taken me another two years um <laughs> i somewhat regret not doing a chapter on fishbone but i felt that they'd had a documentary done about them and right they, they've been I, covered. I, yeah i wanted to give their space to someone else who who you might not have known about um but yes you know the the, the more i think about it the more i i'm still my editor and i are still going over the chapters to sort of um make them as as good as they can be, but Gangster Fun really stands out to, to me as you know the the um the the as I like to use the word DNA. Their DNA is in a lot, I think, of of what of what comes up. 
in in American ska now, and a lot of it is humor. You know, the the their humor, yeah. and I think that's the other part that I appreciate about the band is that that they represent your city in a way that is like the specials represent Coventry. Yeah. You know, their their music is is the story of Detroit in a lot of ways. Which, and you can confirm this for me, but it's like having a dark sense of humor because you're you're living in a place that has really struggled and been challenged by, by events and, and all sorts of things outside of its um, control. I think what was also interesting about Gangster Fun was the two black members of, of the band, Ron, the bass player, and John, the singer, grew up in Detroit proper, but in the area uh, where all the Motown stars lived. Yeah. Yeah. So they both told me stories about living next door to, you know, somebody who had a top one, a top two or top three hit on the, on the charts, you know, just normal right. to see that person walking down the street. And so, and, and the other members of the band were in what I assume are the suburbs, you know, around where you live. Right. And so you, you did have this commingling of different experiences coming together, like the specials and the selector where you had black and white members coming together and creating something brand new. And I, you know, I, I'm again, beating a dead horse here, but, but to me, they, they did it in a very interesting way. You know, you had these different stories and experiences that, and this dark, dark humor that, uh, you know, if you listen to some gangster fun songs, you're like, what the fuck is this song about? Um, <laughs> it's still amazing. I, very early on before I, I had met anybody in gangster fun and before I had played a show with them, I under my like electronic solo project, Babylon party machine, I made like a really weird kind of like borderline EDM, but like sort of weird shitty <laughs> cover of the gangster fun song date with density. Um, <laughs> Which I don't know if you've heard that song. It's from one of their later records, which is like, like, because their their last, like, their first two records were pretty like standard American ska, I guess by your definition. Like, they kind of became what American they were kind of doing what became American ska. But their last yes. two records are super weird, like avant garde, weird time signatures, um, and like they had this song "Date with Density" that's about dating somebody who's way heavier than she looks <laughs> which is like an insane premise for a song <laughs> i'm like yeah. oh yeah this is my shit right here <laughs> and then like i when i i ended up uh after i did this recording i ended up sending it to uh david minnick because i don't think john bunkley was in the band at that point and david minnick was kind of like the creative control of the band at that point and he was like this is the way that my band should have done it well done and then i ended up opening for them two years in a row when they did uh a couple reunion shows at mustard plugs annual holiday shows wow yeah dave dave minnick is i think um i I interviewed him as well Uh, the um kind of the he and john bunkley I'm not, I don't want to um, say that everybody in that band had a, had a contribution to make, but I think you guys coming together um, really like creatively genius, like both of them um, in the way that they view the world. But yeah, again, you know um, just this really interesting, weird group of guys who just all come together and boom, let's play ska. And, um, 
you know, I think that's that's t- to me the the beauty of uh, of American Sky. You know, a, a lot of the stories that uh, there's so many. You know, I can't even think of all the bands at the moment who are in this book that I've worked on. Um, uh, but but in many ways, you know, there is always an origin story. Sky is the main ingredient, and then you mix it all up, and what do you have? Uh, I've loved talking to you. I feel like. Uh, you and I could talk for hours and hours. Um, yeah, yeah, we probably could. He was listening. Um, but thank you so much. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed your perspective. I really respect um, what you do, the music that you make, and um, most importantly, the community that you're building around Ska. So um, thank you for, for everything. And um, I look forward to talking to you soon. You know what? From someone that's quite senior to me, it's, it's nice to have that appreciation. So thank you. My pleasure.